Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello, hello, and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is James Kell. I'm a in situ technology specialist at Rolls Royce PLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that means is we're interested in developing a range of technologies to get inside engines or or gas turbines or other highly restricted or difficult to access pieces of hardware with the aim of inspecting or repairing those things without dismantling them. Mm-hmm. Great. What's your first robot you build? Have you ever built a, rob- a robot before and what was the feeling at this time? Okay, so th- this is a bit of a, 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 a kind of admission of guilt on my part because mm-hmm. actually uh, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a roboticist. Mm-hmm. I've never personally, I've never built a robot other than kind of with Lego and other things like that when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, which was very interesting and, and pretty cool. Although uh, what I've been what I'm doing really is providing a lot of end-use interesting cases to the people I work with mm-hmm. uh, that are out in the robotics kind of supply chain as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. So people like uh, the University of Nottingham, for example, um, they're, they're people that are making snake-like robots for us and um, we're able to then take them into our workshops and, and try them in our engines and do some inspection and repair type activities. But me personally, I, I don't make them. I'm, a, I'm an end user. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, what was the journey for you before joining Rolls-Royce? And why you just just interested to join uh, the company? Yes, I've always been interested in, uh, in Rolls-Royce as a company. Um, I'm really interested in aviation as a, as a kid, mm-hmm. um, really kind of looking at air shows and things like that. Um, I got into Rolls-Royce because I started doing a PhD at Loughborough University and it was in the materials department. And um, actually some of the people that worked there had quite strong links with me, mm-hmm. the Rolls-Royce departments in materials. And that's where I started to talk to those guys and sort of found out that there was some different openings in different areas. But since joining the company, mm-hmm. I found a lot of really interesting areas of potential research and, and kind of development because actually I joined at an interesting time where we were starting to make more of the aftermarket or repair and maintenance services and because I come from an R&D background me and the team that were part of um, the kind of research for repair and services were able to start to kind of grow different portfolios portfolios in different areas and that partic- one of those particular ones that I found was uh, what we call on-wing or in-situ yeah. inspection and maintenance. So that's led me down this kind of interesting avenue where we talk about snake-like robots and other little miniature vehicles with cameras on, for example, that kind of kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is which is great because it's quite easy to kind of sell those ideas. People understand them from a kind of base level. Mm-hmm. So could you please tell us about this technology for engine maintenance, um, more detailed about this project, and how was the start for developing this uh, miniature robotic bug for engine 
Yeah, so um, actually this is one of a, a, a big portfolio of different inspection and, and repair type activities. But it's, I suppose it's the one that captures the imagination more than most. Um, we, we call it Swarm within the, um, within the Rolls-Royce community. And in the project, we're working with Harvard University as well as Nottingham University or the University of Nottingham, I should say. Um, it really came about um, through a chance meeting uh, at, with a couple of guys um, in Harvard University. This camera um, that was miniaturized, it's a bit like a pill camera. Um, and we, we basically put it on the, <coughs> on the top of one of their little walking robots and walked around their lab and found that actually we could take some pretty good images with it. Mm -hmm. So we started to think about what were the problems to actually making that small enough and robust enough to get inside an engine and do some inspection. Mm -hmm. And that's where we've been kind of working ever since. We brought the University of Nottingham in to look at how we deploy and retrieve these types of devices, because it's one thing getting them in, you also have to get them out. Um, and it sort of started really back in 2014, this type of activity is because we want to improve our inspection capability. So there's lots of areas within our within our engines that we can inspect quickly and easily with yeah. standard techniques because we can put a camera in a, an inspection port and rotate those things around and in front of the camera and we can get a really good quick view of those 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 components. But there are areas, for mm -hmm. example, big areas such as a combustion chamber where mm -hmm. actually it's like putting your head into a into a really big warehouse and trying to map that warehouse quickly so if there was lots of people looking at different areas and all kind of accumulating your images from a from different points mm -hmm. then you can quickly map up that area in a in a much more efficient way and that's really one of the drivers behind that swarm project but as i said <clears throat> it's a um it's one of the projects that we have it's it's probably one of about 15 different projects that are going on in the same sort of field. Mm -hmm. It's probably the one that captures the imagination most, and it's also probably the one that's furthest away from being adopted into the company mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because of the because of the complexity. Yeah, that's very interesting. So let me ask you, why it's really important to invest in this technology? What could be the advantages? If we take the robotic bug or swarms, stuff outside of the question mm -hmm. it's really important for us as a company yeah to develop these types of maintenance technologies because every time we remove an engine from service it costs us significant mm -hmm. amounts of money and it also provides a lot of disruption to the customer and we don't want disruption for our for our customers because we as as kind of flyers and users of those those aircraft we want them to be available when when we want them to fly. So we, it's, we've all got a vested interest in making these types of technologies so that we can basically provide aircraft availability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. So that's one of the, the key, it's kind of the front line, if you like, the first kind of defense in terms of uh, if there was some form of issue or something that had to be inspected, if you could do it without taking the engine out of, out of where it's supposed to be, in other words, installed on an aircraft, then yeah. that's what we're able to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is this technology ready to be applied in, in real life situation or just until under research? 
there's a couple of different ways to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was to put my robotic hat on and say, have we deployed any robots in service yet? I would have to say, no, we're still developing things like snake robots and these swarm robots to be used. However, elements of those bits of technology have been used in a number of times. Um, so actually, what I, I don't think of it in terms of robotics. I think of it in terms of actually, can I achieve an end goal? Mm-hmm. And throughout the course of these technology developments, we have achieved a, a wide range of different um, development techniques that we have used successfully to prevent engines being taken out of service or to improve our inspection capability in in service. So yes, I suppose you could call it a sliding scale, really. There are plenty of things that we have developed and that have been used. And there are plenty of things that keep us entertained in terms of how to continue development and uh, keep us scratching our heads to develop the next thing. Mm -hmm. So I think we think that it could be challenging because could you please tell us the, uh, the dimensions or the goal that the company uh, aiming to have the dimension of the bug robots because the things still have to be scaled down and I think that this could be challenging in terms of the energy and performance so I don't know what could you please tell us what is the goal that a company envision of the size of these robots swarm of bug robots Yes, of course. Um, We haven't really talked about that yet, have we? So um, the way I usually describe this is, um, roughly speaking, if it's about the same diameter as a pencil, if if you can imagine that, that's the type of size we're talking about. But those kind of things could be passed into the engine quite easily through conventional inspection ports. So roughly speaking, about under eight millimeters diameter or less. Smaller is better because we can then apply it to a range of things, mm-hmm. such as smaller engines which have smaller inspection ports. And of course, though, with those size cha- size challenges, we have a lot of design kind of compromises that we have to make. And um, as I said earlier, we're, we're really interested in, in actually trying to achieve something useful when we get to our target of interest, be that an inspection or repair. It's really all about delivering that that service. Mm-hmm. So that's what we focus on. Mm-hmm. Great. So here's a question, because I think that when you deal with engine, it's very, very sensitive. If any something is left, it's like a dangerous situation. So how you make sure, the team makes sure that there is no any bug robots could be left in the future. Um, maybe this is like a failure scenario could happen or, because if you just uh, use human, sometimes they are curious about there is no error happen. But in this situation, how you make sure that the bug robots are not left in the engine, uh, which is could be dangerous situation? Yeah, of course. Um, so that, that's obviously a big consideration. And as I said, uh, we, we haven't finished development of this project yet. So we will continue to kind of keep working on methods to make these things as, as, as robust as possible so that it can be relied on to be retrieved in a, in a standard way. Uh, however, I should say that there's a, a really skilled group of people that, that go out and service these engines on a regular basis. And they're very, very good at getting, getting things out of the engine that shouldn't be there. And they do that 
now and again when when they needed to um, out in, in the service now it's something that's a relatively you know, I wouldn't say it's a routine task but it's something that is uh, is something that is a, a skill that is available so we use off-the-shelf kind of retrieve retrieval technologies that are very similar actually to um, the kinds of things you'd see in surgery mm-hmm. so these are our keyhole surgery type visual inspection technologies but they have through the center of the channel there's a, a sort of a channel that's that allows you to pass different tools like grippers or um, baskets or magnets all with the design intent to actually remove foreign objects from these types of places so that's a kind of last line of defense if you like we know we can get things out if needed if they break down but throughout the course of our our development we'll be developing kind of measures in order to ensure that we can mm-hmm. we can robustly remove them in a in a kind of routine way mm-hmm. right. and we've got time to do that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so how would Rolls-Royce envision intelligent in these robotic parts what's their goals or just as a plan how they want them intelligent to which level in general Yes, okay, so we'll have to distribute some of the computational requirements um, because there will be a need for um, accumulating the images that are being streamed back from each one of these different different devices because all, there's a lot of different units walking around inside your, your engine, for example. So there's lots of, potentially, there's lots of different vision streams coming back to you. Mm-hmm. But more than that, they have to communicate with each other and we have to coordinate where they're going. So they have to understand where they are and and what their kind of trajectory or kind of inspection procedure might be. So we have we have quite well-defined inspection procedures and effectively it's just trying to codify those and ensure that the work is distributed in a kind of efficient way. So. Apologies for somewhat dodging the question there, but we, we kind of, there are ways and means in terms of actually distributing the intelligence required. It yeah. doesn't have to be built into every one of the, the, the miniature robots. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, do you think simulation is good enough in predicting different scenario, if just as a different scenario for engine and inspection, and what could, could you think simulation is good enough in that regard? Yeah, so, I mean, simulation is, is a great tool and it's something that we use quite regularly. Some One of the other projects we're working on um, is called Cobra and this is a long, thin snake robot mm-hmm. that's, um, that's funded through the Innovate UK, a UK government funding pot. But uh, this, this makes use of, of a digital twin, actually. So we've built a digital version of both the robot and the demonstration scenario. And we're using a big fusion of different um, of information streams to, to allow us to understand where we are, both virtually and in reality. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're running a simulation alongside understanding visualometry signals from the tip of the snake robot, as well as looking at different shape poses of the robot by using a, um, a shape-sensing fiber in, integrated within it. So there's a big fusion of different kind of real, real and virtual and it's really helping the, the, the operator understand where he is and what's 
what's going well and what's not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, simulation is absolutely key. So we're quite key on, keen on those digital uh, twin type technologies, all with the aim of enriching the operator's understanding of what, how to do the task better and quicker. Mm -hmm. And um, and really, when I say the task, that's what it's all about for us. If we can we can put tools in front of maintenance engineers that give them a better capability in achieving their goal, then we will win. Yeah. Do you think they are good enough to match what's happening in real life? Because sometimes you can't really capture what happened in reality. So it is accurate uh, enough? Well, yeah, that's why, that's why it really excited by the COBRA project, because yeah. not only is it having a simulator alongside the digital twin part, we are also comparing it regularly, like a few times a second, with real sensor data. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're bringing in real sensor data from the state position through a shape sensing fiber. Also looking at real visual information that's coming from the snake tip. So, yeah. so you're, you're effectively trying to overlay what you should be looking at with what you are looking at and seeing if we can then change the model on the simulation to say, oh, actually, we have moved a few millimeters further than we think we have, etc. So it's a way of way of understanding how how closely the model reflects reality mm -hmm. yeah so, so yeah, obviously yeah. there are challenges in that in that world yeah mm -hmm. so you mentioned there is 15 project and this is one of the projects so could you please tell us more about the open challenges that faces rolls rise it tends to, it tends to use robotics in, in in inspection and maintenance challenges in general yeah, so if I was to think about different challenges, we, we are interested in getting small things into engines and we want to do as much repair as we can feasibly achieve. Mm -hmm. So in, in, a, in the biggest kind of, what would be wonderful is if we were to able to look at every process we have in our overhaul market, be it that kind of welding, um, grinding, mm -hmm. chem uh, removal of chemicals and materials etc putting coatings back on all of these types of processes if we could miniaturize them and deploy them through a snake-like robot or similar then that's really for us the holy grail because then we could do anything that we could do in a in an overhaul market where we've completely stripped the engine down and you can you can pick up the components and look at them we don't want to be able to we don't want to have to rely on that in the future necessarily. We'd love to be able to repair the whole thing without taking it out of service. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's a, a kind of a goal that's some way off. And potentially, there's quite obviously lots of physical restrictions to actually make that a reality. Mm -hmm. But there must be a point between where we are today and that, that sort of overall vision I described where we could develop things in the next 10, 20 years that would be achievable that we haven't conceived now that would be possible. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really excited about the future because there's, uh, there's lots of things that just even last year we didn't think would be possible, but actually we're just starting to realise that with the capabilities we have from a robotic deployment perspective, it looks like we're able to really get in and do some useful work with those different processes. And apologies, I can't really tell you what those processes are yet. Yeah, okay, sure. Validated what they are. 
mm-hmm. uh, how sorry how how well it works. But when it does, we'll be able to go public with those things and, and describe them in more detail. So I suppose watch this space. Yeah, I understand. Uh, so you are more concerned about the end customers. So let me ask you how yes. how they think about this technology. I think and even in aerospace technology, how they perceive this kind of technology because it's it's something maybe new and uh, what is the feeling in general in, in, in the level of industry, of aerospace industry and also in the level of end customers, how they are reacting to this technology. They are in, keen to it or apprehensive? What, what is the feeling you, ha- you can guess from your, your dealing with end customers? So I, I can't really answer on behalf of customers, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I suppose I could hypothesize that some customers would be interested in, in different technologies, and in some cases I could point to examples, and in some cases those customers are, are just not interested, and we are interested in only whether or not the engine is in a serviceable condition or not. And really that's what it always gets down to, even if the customer is interested in the technology, the, the exam question, if you want to call it that, is does the engine work again after we've just done this repair or not? Mm-hmm. And that, that's, really, that's really where we get to. And if we can't return a, a, a positive answer on that question, then we've all kind of failed, if you like. So it's, that's really where we, we always get to is does it work? Yes or no? And if not, let's keep developing it until it does. Mm-hmm. So currently, there's certain demographic regions interested in this technology, rather than um, Rolls Royce. Other companies interested in deploying this technology, or do you have any data about that? Yes, uh, yes, there would be. Uh, I don't think I'm really in a position to comment on uh, on different companies' approaches to this type of thing. Yeah. Um, but but yes, there there are many different industries actually that are very interested in. In miniaturized robotics for in-service operations such as inspection and repair. Mm-hmm. So yes, uh, I, I mean, in fact, there's plenty of complementary industries such as the oil and gas, or maybe even telecommunications or infrastructure like water, for example. They are interested in getting repair or inspection processes into into small or cramped, restricted environments. So actually. That's a, a really big avenue for, for demonstration and exploitation for these types of technologies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boeing uh, set to scrap some 77X fuselage assembly robots. I don't know if you heard about that, but uh, do you think this could happen, a scenario could happen to uh, the bug robots? Is this scenario could happen that uh, robots are unemployed? And uh, do you think this could happen? in the future? Um, I mean, I, I can't comment on the Boeing question, mm-hmm. although I, I would say there's, you know, things always get redundant in terms of their their, their capability. I, I suspect perhaps in that case, they the company may have found an alternative way of doing that mm-hmm. task that is quicker, better, cheaper, yeah. more safe, for example. There, there are plenty of different reasons for kind of scrapping things. Um, and I, I expect if we were to, to continue development of our robotic bugs and get them into service, mm-hmm. I'm sure at some point there'll be something else coming down the, the, the pipeline that will be 
better and superseded. So, of course, in fact, you'd welcome it, wouldn't you? Because that means you're keeping on developing different technologies to to improve our service offering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, here is a general question. How would you think uh, Rolls-Royce ensured that the technology developed is going to be beneficial to humanity as all? What's the consideration uh, that the company follow to make sure the technology is, is beneficial to humanity as all? Well? Yeah, so I, this, is, um, this is really quite a wide-ranging mm -hmm. um, wide thing. I guess that's, that's a really difficult thing to answer um, from my perspective. Although I, I, was just, I would say we, we, we have no idea in some cases where people may be able to use the technology that we're developing. And we know that some of the things we have done in the past have helped mm -hmm. in some way different industries. So there's plenty of different what you might call spillover benefit into different um, industries like that. And we, we're always interested in ensuring that we sort of inspire the next generation of of engineers, be they roboticists or aerospace engineers or whoever, mm -hmm. to make sure that we kind of keep feeding that skills supply chain so that we can continue to flourish as a as an industry, let alone a business. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So there is some concern that if this technology will lead to social inequality for instance, human unemployment, since there is demand on having using a human workforce. So with the using this technology, do you think this could lead in social inequality as something that the company consider? Do you think that's something an issue or what do you think about it? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not really in a, in a position to comment on social inequality, I don't think. I'm a, I'm a technology specialist. but. I would say that if you look back over history, any yeah. new technology that's been in, introduced, and you know things that at some point suggest that you have no requirement for jobs after that, there's always a way of the fact that some of them even create new jobs. It's not a case of er eradicating things. It's a case of we have to evolve as a people to to make best use of that new technology, and that that with it comes some level of opportunity, always. Mm -hmm. So I would like to interest you to ask you whether there are other robots rather than bug robots that Rolls-Royce yeah. investing in. Is there other project you, you could tell us more about? Yeah, so I'm, I'm telling, I've told you a little bit about the Cobra project. So that's mm -hmm. a, a long, a long thin snake robot that we, it's about five meters long and eight mil diameter, eight millimeters diameter. And uh, we're looking at being able to include a, a, a miniature laser head on the tip of one of those snake robots so that we can actually drive into areas and machine away damaged material not just in an aerospace environment, but also in a nuclear industry, such as a civil reactor, mm -hmm. for example. Um, so that, that's one, one avenue of investigation. Another, another avenue of investigation is a project, um, kind of two related projects actually, called Flare and Chimera. So these are both funded by Innovate UK as well in the, in the UK, um, and both kind of using Rolls-Royce expertise to work with different collaborating partners 
to develop snake robots again, but also with the goal of being able to put coatings back on in, in situ. So I talked about combustion chambers earlier. So those combustion chambers have a coating on to ensure that that, mm-hmm. that combustor doesn't um, erode because actually it's operating above its melting temperature. Mm-hmm. So if we find coating loss, we have to monitor it. And then when it gets to a, a, a kind of degraded enough, we have, we have to take the engine out of service. But if we had a snake robot that could get inside and put the coating back on, it means it could carry on until its next scheduled overhaul, where it would come out of service on schedule and not cause any disruption to the customer. And then it would, we would get an opportunity to strip the engine down and replace that, that bit of component and with a new one. So it doesn't have to last forever. It's just a, a way of making the component last until its next schedule. But this is a project that that's had an engine demonstration actually of the flame spray deposition process, mm-hmm. um, and that was done earlier this year. So you can you can take a look on the web for that flare project if you you can find it through the Rolls Royce Vimeo channels. Mm-hmm. It's quite an exciting demonstration actually. It's basically a, a, a snake robot with a, a flamethrower on it. It's pretty cool. So th- those are two kind of examples of, of the robotics technologies that we're looking at mm-hmm. and I, i'm very happy to talk about those in if you like because they're they're funded by public sources nice very nice i.e yeah. uk government funding so. do you think ego sometimes is important while you work in this project sometimes if you figure out this could not work or you have an idea sometimes do you think ego is important in this situation well, I've not really thought about thought about it actually like that, but I guess you could you could say, yeah, demonstrating some level of passion is always a good um, a good sort of marker for understanding whether or not you think a, you you can tell if somebody's really engaged in a in a project because they've got a lot of passion for it. Yeah. Um, I've never really thought about whether ego has a has a part to play. Mm-hmm. I suppose it does in some way. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, that's just a question. I think this is a, because if you have a, a suggestion or something, you have to add how it's perceived. If you have arguments, sometimes in this kind of this technology, because how it perceived this kind of this is kind of the question I ask. Since the end customer, just a situation like end customer reports something and they don't like this part of the technology because they, they are the end user at the end of the day. So how is this perceived? How this, if this kind of feedback, how it's going on if you have this kind of suggestions or argument about something? Is it happening? I think, yeah. So I, th- I think we, I may be didn't quite explain why we do what we do, perhaps. Uh, okay. we, we talked about the long-term service agreements. Mm-hmm. And um, and really, the customer, our customer always expects an engine to be available. Mm-hmm. So what we do is ensure that for as much as possible, we can provide an engine. Um, so we these kind of technologies are helping up our service mechanics perform more tasks in the field so that we can prevent unplanned engine removal. 
Um, so in, in effect, actually, the customer doesn't necessarily need to be worried about what technologies we're using. They need to know that we're doing it, we're repairing their aircraft engines safely um, and returning to them as quickly as possible a, a, an operating product. Mm-hmm. So I haven't really had to worry too much, I don't think, about yeah. how it's being perceived. I would say that the robotics industry as a whole has a, has a perception problem. Because mm-hmm. I, I think actually what, what happens is when um, we, all, we all as a, as a community get worried about robots. Yeah. And then when, but we, we kind of apply them to a specific task and we can demonstrate that that's been successful. And at that point, it feels like people forget that they're robots at that point. So we need to, we need to be able to, I think, wave the flag on, on some of these successful application of robotics and just demonstrate to the community that, that actually robotics are, are a good thing for humanity and they will help us improve our lives in ways we probably haven't imagined yet. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you believe in something like singularity, something that robots can be more intelligent than um, what, we, what we think? That, do you think that something could be used for the bad things also? Because you make like sweeping generalization, it will be very good. So, do you think this is something like going on that maybe it's going to not good uses in the one day? Yeah, I suppose every every good thing can have a have a sort of negative con- context if it is is taken that way. It, it, I suppose it's it, it's something that definitely needs to be considered. Um, mm-hmm. I, w- I would say that the kind of things we're doing are, are relatively benign from a sort of defense perspective. And actually, I think they've, they've probably got more to serve in terms of actually looking at, for example, disaster areas. Look, if, you, if, you, if you're able to put a snake robot into somewhere like a, like a Fukushima-type scenario, yeah. or if there's a, been an earthquake or something, you could put these types of snake robots in to understand where where people might be or to understand the scenario a bit more, to get more information about safety, then that's the kind of thing where I see these, these types of technologies that we're developing here being used. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I'm not, I'm not discounting there's, there's possibilities for people to use them in a sort of more, yeah. Sort of, I don't know, darker, darker world, but I, I, I wouldn't like to speculate on that. I couldn't possibly say. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you, when would we expect to have this technology in the market? Something there's any customers can use it, this robotic pack. When it expected to be released officially? Yeah, so when I said, yeah, when we're talking about um, it being released, I think that's slightly the wrong context. I think we could be saying that we'd be using it in different ways okay. within a couple of years. When I'm talking about the snake robots, that is, when we talk about this swarm like robots, then I think we're, we're maybe five years away from an actual engine demonstration of those things. So I wouldn't ever say that we'd be releasing these things at all, mm-hmm. but as a, there'd, be a, there'd be another tool for our inspection, repair, um, service mechanics to, to, to make use of. Mm-hmm. 
but, it, but I suppose that five years for the swarm stuff and a couple of years for the snake type stuff is a, is a realistic ambition. Mm -hmm. Great. So this can be used for any type of aircraft or just technology designed for a certain type of fuselage <laughs> engines for... Is there rest no, restrictions? That, that, I think that's the point, really. We, we, we have a very tight design restriction on us in terms of making it small enough to go in through the holes that we have on our engine. But it could be applied to a range of different scenarios, different industries, such as fuselage inspection. Yeah. We talked about the telecommunications industry with, with different infrastructures, such as water or the nuclear industry, oil and gas, for example. They, they all have their own specific use cases, which would come with different constraints. And I would imagine that lots of things we're doing have, have different crossover appeal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There is ethical or consideration, a regulation in this project that Rolls Royce consider. What could be the ethics constraint or regulation that the company for, deploy for this project? Is there any? There, there are. There are some significant um, regulatory requirements okay. on us. Mm -hmm. Um, we have to ensure that anything that we do complies with the, the regulatory bodies, such as the, the FAA. Yeah. So that they, these types of, of bodies are there to ensure that whatever we do gets done in a, in a safe way. Yeah. And we would, we would comply with that regulation before doing any of these types of repair or inspection tasks with a robotic solution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. So I would love to ask you something about your, you personally about where you work in the project. What's, what chip do you while working this project? Like you gain the skill or something make you excited while being this project? Is there any something you could share? Um, I'm, I'm, what, I, what I would say is working in, in this industry is, is really, really exciting because there's lots of avenues of, of development I can see going on in the world. Mm -hmm. moving very quickly and it, it's a really exciting time because we're able to pick and choose different areas of those those kinds of problems and, and build up a solution that kind of looks like a almost like a Frankenstein's monster of different technologies but at, it's kind of we're at that time where where lots of those things are starting to come to maturity so it's really exciting so one of the things I I like about my job is that I get to see issues on a regular basis um, in the company and I can translate them into research problems that we can then discuss with different academic institutions to make a make a problem um, sort of make a solution for that specific problem and then work on it for a period of time and then to kind of make it a reality put it into the hands of a mechanic Mm -hmm. and see it, being, see it being used. So from having an idea to seeing something being used can be, can be a few months or it can be a few years, but it's actually that design and development cycle happens relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do, you, yeah, what do you most value about the culture of Rolls-Royce? Something you really value most? Rolls-Royce is, is great because not everyone understands what we're trying to do mm -hmm. um, and I would say that 
everyone is so knowledgeable about a range of different things. And generally speaking, everyone is very, very helpful and wants to basically help you achieve your tasks. So it's a, it's a really open sort of environment for, for pursuing innovation and creating developmental types of projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I would like to ask you if you have any robots at your home or are you planning to have any robots? <laughs> um, I'm keen to have a robot um, vacuum cleaner mm-hmm. and, a, and a robot um, lawnmower. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm trying to convince my wife that we need those things. But, you know, there, there are other ways to do those tasks, I suppose. <laughs> but in general, what do you think about robotics? Aside from what sure. is happening, yeah. What does you feel yeah. about that? Do you think they are, they are really smart enough or is there something like a hype that you can do everything? What is your, your perception about robotics in general? My, my perception about robotics is that there's a perception problem with it. Mm-hmm. I think it's really difficult to define what a robot is and what a robot isn't. And in a lot of cases, it just doesn't matter. Because sometimes we, I mean, you could say that, uh, for example, a dishwasher is a robot because yeah. it's automating washing dishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, we could get hung up on the definitions of things, but actually all around us, like gradually speaking, things get improved and that's a, that's always a good thing, surely. But you don't have like, so I, I would, yeah. Yeah. Generally, speak, generally speaking, the industry, the robotics industry has, yeah. a, I think, an, an issue in terms of is public perception and mm. I, I don't yet know how we can convince everybody that what we are doing is 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 really positive mm-hmm. although i really believe that it is mm-hmm. but there, there seems to be a sort of a sort of negative connotation to to um, adoption i suppose mm-hmm. and that's that's a big challenge for the future mm-hmm. And do you have any ideas what could be solution is like, because you mentioned the wash dishwasher, but still you can't develop this like emotion since they don't have, what do you think that could be the solution that we can close this gap between human or robotics in, in general, then how you can close this gap? What, what could be your thoughts in this respect of that? I, I would probably have to politely decline from that comment. I, I'm not sure I, I've really got the, uh, the viewpoint to make that assessment. The kind of things we're developing from a robotic point of view um, are really, really there mm-hmm. because we, we just can't do that task unless we did it in a robotic way. Mm-hmm. So for, for us, it's, it's putting a new tool on the shelf. So it's not a case of um, whether or not we want to interact with it in a different way. It's kind of, can we use this tool to actually do a job? Yes or no. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really matter about the interaction part of it so much. Although I'm sure that will come in the future for us. We're, we're I suppose, on a, on a, on a journey as, as every other company is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So what, what are the qualities that Rolls-Royce is considering for people who would like to join the company? Do you think BHD is a must? Uh, or how the company envisions an employee that would like to join, in general? Um, okay, so I suppose it depends on what your what job that person is required to do. Yeah. Certainly, I don't think PhD is a must. 
is a must. Although I said, it's, it's not, unless yeah. you are working in a research environment, and then perhaps it is a useful quality. But it's certainly not a must for being um, for, for doing for doing something else. It's it's not necessarily a yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a requirement. Um, there are many different different avenues of different roles within the company, and they've all got their own specific yeah. people requirements. Um, yeah, that, that's that's too big a question, I suppose, to to answer. Other than other than I suppose everyone. I've worked with here generally is open-minded, yeah. innovative, and is very kind of keen to question what you're doing, but uh, will also be very helpful. Mm-hmm. So we're all we're all focused on a, on specific goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since you're working in industry, sometimes the students have what kind of question was able to continue in academia or industry. So I would like to ask you what was the best advice was given to you and just was like life changing, was there a personal or professional level that you would like to share? The best advice? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure I could say what the best advice is exactly, but I would, somebody got it into my head pretty early on to, to, to just try some stuff, try, try things quickly. And if they fail, that's okay, but we found out quickly. So it's a very good way of understanding what will and won't work early on. And that's invaluable for later, because if you spend a load of time working on something and then it, it sort of ends up in a failure, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you could have maybe found that quicker. So I think the, the phrase was fail fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that flushes out the good ideas much quicker Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would like to ask you finally with a Rolls Royce is a, is just have like events to engage with general people or lay people about the technology who that may be not familiar that there's ongoing projects for robotics. If there is any events or ways to interact with this kind of new technologies just to be familiar with, if there are any. Yeah, sure. So um, we, we did a few um, we put out a few social media videos for UK Robotics Week yeah. in um, end of June this year, 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are worth having a look at on on the Rolls Royce Twitter feed, and uh, with the with the Chimera project and Cobra projects both reaching their conclusions at the end of next year, mm-hmm. there'll be some level of um, demonstration activity mm-hmm. on those that will that will be publicly. Um, of shared and I'm hoping that there will also be areas or not areas but sort of kind of workshops where we can do some public engagement and maybe come and, and do some sort of hands-on work with the robots mm-hmm. towards maybe this this time next year I suppose is, is when we'll be realistically doing that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Cool that's great so we are coming up to the the end of the the podcast so I would like to ask you if you have any final words you would like to say for the soft robotics community or robotics in general from your perspective uh, <clears throat> um, just just keep doing the good work we're all interested to kind of keep following the progress of everything and um, don't be afraid to let your ideas um, out of the out of the lab and kind of share share with the rest of the world because that's how we can then start to 
get interested in them from an industrial perspective and, and who knows what might follow. Yeah, so much. And on behalf of IEEE-RAS, I would like to thank you for your time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.